Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. It's Tracy back. Stop looking at me like that. I'm back. I'm back for another episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups where Super Producer Alex is staring me down on Zoom. Alex, I don't know if I'm glad you're here or not. You are so happy. You wouldn't know what to do without me because I am that much fun. <laughs> I put the meaning in your life. Come on. You are you are fun unless you're not. Uh, you're, 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 you're like my brother. I figured out you're like my brother. You're like, if you're not actively making my life better, you are actively making it worse. And the second, the latter of those two is significantly more fun than the former, <laughs> which explains a lot about your brother and myself. It does. Well, okay. So, <laughs> hey, so but thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh yeah. I'm always glad to have you most of the time. Okay. So, so let's, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about something that's gone on in the neighborhood. Cause there was a, you had some, uh, like a little situation oh, over like at the house the other day. This is going. I looked out the window and I saw it. <laughs> What, what exactly did you see the police car in my driveway? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I got a visit from the Boulder police and evidently those photo red lights, um, that, that when you run them and they send you a ticket in the mail, you're supposed to pay those. Uh, and, and you, you took exception to this, uh, well, there was a picture on there of the driver, which is about the size of a postage stamp. And. I just decided that that didn't look anything like me. So it must not be me. So this ticket didn't apply. So it went into the round file. And I've done that many, many times. I should probably not be saying that publicly, but nonetheless, I've done that uh, in the past. And this time they actually showed up at my door and gave me a new summons saying, yeah, you either got to pay this sucker or you got to come to court. And I'm like, oh, okay. So this they gave you me. a choice. They gave you a choice. What, what Did yeah. you just open up your wallet and pay it right then? No, I, I put the envelope in your mailbox. In mine? Well, you're going to pay it for me, aren't you? No. I'm sure I was doing something for you at the time. Therefore, it is your responsibility to pay no. my bills. No. <laughs> Driving around in your van too fast, running lights. No. Yeah, I learned, you know, the trick with that is you just write the check, you put it in the envelope and you stick it in the mail and then forget about it. Because the longer, because, you know, your inclination is to let it sit on the desk for as long as possible till you get right to the deadline. But then every day I come in and I sit at my desk and I look at that thing and it bothers me. And I'm like, nope, just going to get this off my desk and be done with it. That's the trick. Did they make you pay any back tickets? Um, they did not. No, no. All the others that I've done that on. So this is my strategy on this. Okay. <laughs> How to avoid a ticket with Alex as opposed to Tracy Brown. <laughs> Don't look like the person on the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did, did you answer the door in a hoodie pulled pulled tight <laughs> i don't own a hoodie i'm 51 years old thank you oh. um so no i uh so I, i've done this many times and i probably should not be you're due this. you're just uh, due so you know you run through those uh those lights and it's it's always accidental when you push through a light like that's like oh crap that yellow light got the best of me and I know that there's going to be a picture there. So I either pull down quickly the, uh, the, the sun visor mm -hmm. that's going to cover half my face, or if I'm wearing a hat, I just tilt my head down. Or sometimes I've, I've actually grabbed a water bottle and just, you know, put it up to my face like I was drinking water. So all those things camouflage who I am. And at that point, it would be very difficult to prove uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, much less, you know, get past reasonable suspicion at that point that, Hey, that's actually me in the picture and therefore I'm responsible. So that was my strategy in the past. And it probably had worked pretty well because I never got any of those tickets back, uh, <laughs> but uh, the law has caught up to me as of now, <laughs> they showed up at my door and petted my dog. They were very nice to the dog and, um, uh, uh, gave me a new ticket and I pet it. And that's the end of that. And you're not in jail. So and good. I'm free. I'm not. You know who else is not in jail? Who? His name was uh, Kevin Strickland. This is out of Missouri. Have you heard about this? I did. He got yeah. out of jail. 43 it, years. Can he you spent. Imagine? No, no. He went in when he was 17. He's now in his 60s. Mm -hmm. 
And that, oh, Dios mio, that's crazy. So, but the, so, so his whole case was overturned. In fact, everybody was recanting and backing out and, and um, saying this was a, a wrongful conviction all the way back in 1979, a year after he went in. Hmm. I may have those dates screwed up, but it was within a year. They all recanted. Uh, it took 43 years to find a judge and an attorney general that would treat this appropriately, and they booted him out um, of prison. However, in the state of Missouri, you are not eligible for any compensation for being wrongfully imprisoned unless you are exonerated by DNA evidence, which he was not, which means that he spent 43 years in jail. He's come out in his 60s with empty pockets he, and ugh. no hope of con- You can't even sue the state. You get nothing. Well, you know, that was a heartbreaker. Didn't, didn't so like someone put together a GoFundMe for him? Yeah, that's that's the high point of this story. He is currently up to one point seven million dollars in there. Uh, the one thing that he really wants to do more than anything else is go see the ocean because he's never seen the ocean in his life. Well, I hope he gets a first class ticket. I hope so ocean. too. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, our guest today—if he hadn't known our guest today back in 1979—he might not have ended up in jail. Oh, is this the Stewart guy? uh no oh uh, hyatt That's oh yeah P- peter hyatt yeah mm-hmm. yeah and did, a, he worked with what was it alec baldwin or, or well John Bonet, okay so I think? he's a statement analysis expert he he detects deception by either listening to people or looking at what you write and it can go all the way down to text messages and this guy is amazing because as we're talking here the uh trailer for the alec baldwin interview on did he shoot uh, the person on the movie set, Rust? Mm-hmm. Um, that trailer just came out. I sent it to him today and we got to talk about it. And we're going to talk all about uh, oh, Alec whether Baldwin. or not Alec Baldwin is guilty. Yeah. Did he lie or not? Um, whether or not but, that was him in the picture going through the red light. Well, I no, it's not a red light. Anyway, <laughs> anyway but, but we're going to talk about uh, a lot of other cases and there's so much to learn here. And you know what we dove the deepest into hmm. is, is John Benet Ramsey. Really? And is how he, is that still alive? Is he still working on that or is that? It just is passed? apparently a, uh, like the ransom note is used in, in uh, training on ransom notes for, a, for the perfect example of a fake ransom note. No kidding. So we're thinking that's fake. Oh yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah. And so, uh, but, but you know, John Benet Ramsey, that happened just like a mile from us. Oh yeah. If even that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so we talk all about that Roger Clemens, you know, and his pitching, like, did he uh, do drugs uh, to, you know, heal and, and be stronger and everything. So, Mm -hmm. um, so much cool stuff we go over and it's too bad. He didn't know the fella from Missouri because I think it could have helped. Yeah, well, that's too bad. Uh, but I got to ask you this: go, going back to where you absolutely where you were starting talking about him, you, you mentioned that he was a statement analysis expert. Mm-hmm. How is that different than what you do? Well, so but, uh, deception detection comes at the intersection of body language, tone, and words. So body language is my forte, and I know a, a little bit about statement analysis because you have to he's he's the other way like he knows a little bit about body language but he's really big into the statements and how does somebody read a statement and i mean with body language i can understand because they're cues but with Mm -hmm. a statement are there similar cues or is he reading between the lines on all this no there are cues on how you how you state something and he we're going to get into it in in the interview he hinged or he he bet his whole career on one pronoun I. It wasn't I. Me, you, her. I think I think it was me. They. It was or we. It was we is what it is. It was we. But you got to listen. People have to listen to find out. It is fascinating. Oh, the suspense is killing me. Okay, I can't wait to hear that. But before we dive into it, I want to give you one update on a story that we did uh, several months ago. At least it was one of a much earlier episode. But we did a little bit. I remember mentioning something about Florida police crime. So we're talking about crime in Florida. So Florida man, but this Florida man was a police officer and I forget exactly where he was, but let me see if I've got that information um, floating around here. He apparently, so uh, what he was doing is he had been at the time he was under indictment for, a, excuse me, uh, for two teenagers, a couple that he had pulled over for, I don't know, like drinking and pot or something like that. And they wanted to avoid being arrested. 
uh, being arrested. So what he did was he took them somewhere private and quiet and he uh, had them strip off all their clothes and run around naked while he watched in order to, you know, the deal was, I won't arrest you if you do this, which they did. And then they eventually turned them in, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so we got a little conclusion on that. That cop got a 10 year prison sentence. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody deserves that. Yeah. Justice is, is alive and well, at least, <laughs> at least in Florida for the time being. So. so I'd love to hear the Peter Hyatt show and I've got more crime stories I want to tell you, but let's save them for another time. I cannot wait to tell you about the woman who spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on a virtual slot machine that does not pay any money. Okay, well, we're going to talk about that next time. Right now, we're talking to Peter Hyatt. Let's go. Sounds good. It's Tracy, and we are on another fun-filled interview here on Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. And I have someone that I know is going to be one of my all-time favorite guests. And uh, his name, and he's right here, Peter Hyatt. He is a deception detection instructor. He does a lot with statement analysis and... I just found out he is almost a pro baseball player. So, <laughs> Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, um, I've, I've seen your name floating around here and there for, for years. And so, um, when I say that I think you're going to be one of my favorite guests, it's just because I have so much to, uh, to talk about. Now, do you want to um, do you want to introduce yourself just a little bit and don't leave out the baseball part? Well, my career started in detecting deception when I realized I probably wasn't going to play baseball, and that was in the late 70s. Um, I got hooked on the books Encyclopedia Brown. I don't know if that dates me or not, but those were books about um, solving and from reading, and I was always fascinated by that. And uh, Over the years, that's where it led me into study and uh, eventually application. So I currently work with... uh, Tremendous professionals from law enforcement, military, uh, psychology backgrounds, business backgrounds, journalists, writers, doctors, um, quite a group of of analysts. And we meet monthly uh, online where uh, mostly at the behest of law enforcement, we'll work on cases based on the statement itself. And so we have analysts in uh, Western Europe, Russia, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Italy, uh, there's talent all over the place. So it gives me the the privilege of not only leading a team, but learning from them because there are so many things that take place that we need a context from a local understanding. And so we're able to get that. So um, it's quite an adventure. Isn't it? Now, because, you know, I'm a body language expert and, um, but, you know, deception detection, and I don't need to tell you this, it comes at the intersection of body language, tone, and words. And um, the studies say that, you know, language is actually the most important part of it. Um, body language is sexy. It gets me in the door. So, uh, <laughs> so um, let's, you know, I thought there's a couple of ways we could do this. And I, you know what, let's just go the fun way. Instead of just talking about techniques and things like that, let's talk about cases and like some that are in the news right now and maybe some that you've worked on. And then I know the techniques will, will drip from there. So um, I sent you a note this morning uh, when, because we are recording, it's December 2nd and the uh, Alec Baldwin interview on ABC is going to air tonight. And I sent you the trailer and I was like, Hey, Peter, what do you think about this? Because he has a couple quotes in there and I wrote them down. Where are they? I wrote them down. And he says, and this is a quote, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. And the reporter goes, you didn't pull the trigger. And he says, no, 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 no. I would never point the gun at anyone and pull the trigger. Never. So um, I'm sure that you found that pretty interesting. What's your take on it? Well, interesting enough in terms of the, uh, I watched the video that you sent and the body language I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. Um, I often enjoyed uh, doing joint interviews where I was able to look away and just listen to the words, um, knowing full well that someone else with a different talent and skill could draw from that. Um, but I did see that with him. And uh, what was most interesting to me was he began with uh, a passive statement where the, the trigger wasn't pulled. Mm-hmm. That removes 
himself or anyone else from having pulled the trigger. Mm -hmm. So right off the bat, we say there's something wrong here that he would go to that type passivity. If he came out and said, I didn't pull the trigger, it's it's pretty much the interview is all but over uh, because there's nothing else to say. Mm -hmm. But he began with the trigger wasn't pulled. Passivity conceals identity and or responsibility of the actor. Okay. Which is an interesting word to choose when we're talking about uh, Alec Baldwin. And then he went to, I didn't pull the trigger. And then when he was asked, he started off with as many no's. Yeah. And what I would do in, during interviews, when someone would say no, I'd begin to use my fingers and count how many words, how many no's they needed mm-hmm. to, to buttress that point. So the first thing is the passivity. He's removing responsibility from that trigger being pulled mm-hmm. uh, and omitting himself. I liken that to years ago, and, and some of your listeners might remember this one, but uh, there was a, uh, a controversy in New Jersey called Bridgegate. Oh, I remember that. Chris yeah. Christie. yeah, with Chris so Christie, yeah. He was under the accusation that um, lanes were closed or, or bogged up as mm-hmm. personal revenge or political revenge, excuse me. And he gave a press conference to deny it. And so all he had to do was go and say, I didn't know that they were going to close the lanes. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about it. And the press conference is basically over. What he did was he spoke for about 30 to 35 minutes. And then he said that. We look at that as unreliable, the same as Alec Baldwin. They use a preamble or something first to divorce themselves from it. Mm-hmm. Then they'll give that denial. It's not reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the thing that that caught my attention, and it's just uh, what what you said. There's there's too many no's, right? Because truthful people do and say the minimum to get their point across. And and he says at least, and he trails off. But I have at least five that I wrote down. And then um, and then I wanted to get your take on this because I've heard some other interviews that you've done about uh, what you call it, passive. Hang on, let me get the right words. Passive uh, or no embedded confessions. And I wonder if you would see this at, uh, or you would see this topic in his next uh, statement, which says, I would never point the gun at anyone and pull the trigger. Never. So, you know, we have that extra emphasis Uh that shouldn't be necessary. What's missing there is what we call the psychological wall of truth. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's say you accuse me of a crime that I didn't commit. Mm -hmm. And you keep on with the accusations. Eventually, I'm going to say, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. I told you I didn't do it. And there's nothing more I can tell you mm-hmm. because I didn't do it. And you can threaten, you can this and that. And I can say, you, could, you should get a new job as an investigator because I'm <laughs> behind this wall of truth. It, uh-huh. It's my protection. What we look for is someone that doesn't have that wall of truth, but a need to persuade strongly mm-hmm. and Killing someone by firing a gun at them um, isn't a gray issue. Right. It's clear it either happened or didn't happen. So, you know, I also wonder with the way he worded that, um, if his thumb was on the hammer, I don't know what type of gun it was, right. if there was a technical way of trying to avoid a direct lie, but he was responsible for that. He's not telling the truth. Uh, overall, he's using it as a form of deception, but he was ultimately responsible. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting just um, knowing a little bit about him from the news over the years. Uh, I'm from originally from New York, and I follow the New York newspapers. And he's known for someone with a real hot temper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we learned that he may have fired at someone directly that way. Um, it, it cast doubt upon who he is as a person. And then he gives the interview, and um, he knows how to dissociate from reality. That's what they do for a living. Oh yeah. Well, there's that. And then, and then here, here's the one thing that I've read, uh, cause, um, someone posted, um, uh, on one of these, uh, I don't know, Facebook or Twitter that apparently these cult single action, uh, cult single action revolvers, I think have a history of going off without the trigger being pulled. And I was like, huh, all of a sudden it gets a little cloudy. Cause because I, I, like you, was very suspicious of the of the statement. And then that little nugget comes in about the unreliability of these of these guns. And so I just uh, 
I didn't like it. I didn't like anything he said on there. I, I thought mm, this one, uh, he's doing his best to lie and it's not working. And then he did this other thing. The reporter asked, how did a real bullet get on that set? And he said, and, and I'm curious to get your take on the statement. He said, I have no idea. And whenever people say, I have no idea, they're holding something back somewhere because everyone has an opinion. But what's your take on that phrase when people say that? The same. Um, I don't, if I'm doing the interview, I will not take it as a stop sign. Mm -hmm. I will continue to ask questions to find out what peripheral ideas they do have. And eventually they, they own that they do have ideas of how it could have happened, but I don't let them shut it down. That's a way of shutting down and, and concealing information. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. So in other words, don't ask me anymore. I'm not taking that. Right, right. So the whole interview airs tonight. And um, I just think it's going to be one of those things as a deception detection expert like like me, like you, that um, it's like we're going to be kids in a candy store. So um, let's let's keep going on to uh, some of the other things that um, that we can talk about, because you mentioned Cleo Smith, who if uh, this, and this made worldwide news and it was about what was it a month ago, a little more than a month ago. And um, and I did some analysis on this for an Australian news outlet uh, of the interview of the parents. The little girl disappeared out of the family's tent. They were camping in the middle of the night. Did the parents do it or not? And I know you did some analysis. What do, what do you, because she's been found. She's been found. And you said, yep, uh, they were telling the truth. That's what I found as, as well. What was your angle on that? What did you look for? It was actually... Um an analyst from Australia who contacted me, who I work with every month. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I put up his video. And what he did was he followed and saw the areas of sensitivity very well, but he measured what we call the linguistic disposition. Okay. Uh, this is Colin Ector. He did an excellent job. What it means is it indicates Colin's understanding of human nature. If your child is missing, that's not any child out there. That's your own child. Yeah. And if you are a mother, even a young, immature mother, there are going to be an expectation of maternal instincts that have come roaring out. So we call this a linguistic disposition, meaning that we can tell how the mother feels about the child by the mother's words. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, um, she was a little bit defensive. I think she had some suspicion towards the um, her husband or, or boyfriend, whoever he was. Um, I think something went on that wasn't great uh, in the middle of the night. It may have been an extra beer or two or it could be anything. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line was she had a priority of finding the child. But most importantly, she spoke of the child showing concern for what the child was going through at that moment. Mm -hmm. This was a very positive linguistic disposition. And that is aligned with human nature. So going back over like other cases, the McCann case in the UK, the uh, John Benet Ramsey case in the United States, we listen for the mothers in particular, the mothers, mm -hmm. for their instincts to kick in and for them to have a sense of impotency where they can't help the child. So their, their main focus is getting help for the child, finding the child, but their concern as a mother and fathers as well is what the child is going through right now in the hands of a stranger. And when that's absent, there's a reason why it's absent. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. So there, there's, you, you touched on it. Now I am in Boulder, Colorado. I am sitting about a mile from where this whole John Benet Ramsey thing went down. So um, let's dive in. Do you want to dive into that for just a minute? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So um Let's just recap quick. Little six-year-old beauty queen found dead in the family's home. I believe it was Christmas night, 1995. And um, it's still an open case. There's two detectives still assigned to the case. And um, there's been a lot of leads and they've all gone nowhere. There's been people taking mission, gone nowhere. Um, there was a ransom note found. And I'm, did you do any analysis on that ransom note? Yes. What'd you get out? The of? ransom note was a fraud. That's it what I was, thought too. Why, why yeah, do you it, think that? 
A ransom note, the priority of the ransom note in this, this particular case was not like what a ransom note should read like. This okay. was, we call it the novel of, of ransom notes, the length of it alone. But it's filled with silly phrases that literally revealed the mind of the author. And the priority of a ransom note is to get money where mm-hmm. you're not getting your child back. And this was more about insulting. It was passive aggressive. Um, it wasn't a genuine ransom note. And it's been, I don't know, 25 years or, or near that, yeah. where it's now used and has been used for teaching deception detection as a fraud. But if we go even further back than the ransom note, we begin with the 911 call, right. the emergency line call. The emergency line call is the first interview a subject has with police, with law enforcement. And so what we expect is very natural, but what honest parents will say, my daughter's missing. Mm-hmm. Someone took her. Instead, we had um, an emergency call, 911 here in the United States, call where the priority was the mother, the caller herself. Mm-hmm. That's where it was. So there was uh, quite a number of red flags through that. And that itself, at the end of just looking at before an investigation begins, we're able to conclude she's lying. She's being deceptive. They don't, the first thing that she said was, what's going on out there? And she said, we have a, a kidnapping. Hurry, please. Exactly. Because they don't know if it's been a kidnapping or what. They know that she's gone. Or in this case, they knew something else probably, right? But what? so what's your take on that? I mean, because they were too far ahead of the game, don't you think? Yeah, they, they went to the conclusion of the matter. She was speaking in the plural, which is not, not something we expect Unless her and John were standing in front of a, a microphone together, mm-hmm. then we can see the plural. She's on the phone. She is the biological mother of supposedly a missing little girl, six-year-old. Mm-hmm. And she is now speaking in the plural, and she doesn't report her daughter missing. She said, we have a kidnapping. Uh, hurry, please. So not only is we something we don't expect, um, having something, no, my daughter's missing. We don't have something. And actually she's telling the truth in the sense that that's what she's dealing with. Her reality. Uh She's got to float this thing. And then um, we note that, and it's a minor point, but it adds up. Please. When someone is polite on a call, we always wonder why they have the presence of mind to be polite. Mm -hmm. This is called ingratiation where someone wants to be seen as part of law enforcement, part of the solution. And she wasn't. She wasn't offering information. She stayed to a script. But they want to be seen in a good light. It's also We also call that the good guy syndrome. Um, we see it in, in cases of child abuse with mothers where a mother will either portray herself or just state outright what a good mother she is. Right. And I sometimes say tongue-in-cheek that mothers that are good mothers are too tired to brag. Too tired to boast, especially under certain <laughs> yeah. conditions. Uh-huh. And it is often an indication that they've been involved with child protective services or have been accused of being abuse, abuseful or neglectful, abusive. And that's why it comes out in the language. So we have the mother, uh, Patsy Ramsey, being polite, which is not expected. And then she said, we have a, she was going to repeat it again. Then she said, there's a note left and our daughter is gone. So a note left should be a ransom note. And later on, it changes from note to ransom note, which is the opposite. We call that the law of economy, where if I say to you, um, my wife, Heather, is busy right now. And then later on, I said, Heather's still busy. That goes from a longer introduction to the shorter. That's natural. Mm -hmm. But if I went the other direction, something's amiss. It means I'm I'm working more from memory of my speech rather than what's actually happening. Oh, interesting. That's what was going on here. Mm-hmm. So she went from a note, and then she went to our daughter is miss, is gone. It should be my daughter. Mm-hmm. It should be a, an inflamed maternal instinct, very powerful. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. And from there, it just went worse and worse. Um, in fact, I can I can pull up on the screen a little bit here. Uh, yeah, it's it's been interesting being around town and. Um listen to this, but but what's been more interesting while you're pulling up what's on your screen is I have been, uh, I spoke in 
uh, I was in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and the daughter of the 911 operator was in my audience. And she came up to me after, cause I used some of the video. She's like, that was my mom, uh, like uh, the 911. I was like, oh my gosh, do you think she'd talk to me? And she's like, I don't know. And so of course, you know, she didn't want to talk. I had the sister of the nanny in one of my talks and uh, she wouldn't talk to me either. And uh, so I keep having these little touches. And then I was in Michigan at the Michigan Apartment Association. And this guy came up to me and he's like, I had lunch with John Ramsey last week. I'm like, no, you did not. And he goes, yeah. And, and he goes, I just, I just, I just can't go after, you know, what, what you said, I, I can't go to lunch with him again. I'm like, no, you have to. And then you have to call me and, and let me know how it went. So I have these little touches and I haven't, um, I haven't been able to get anyone to talk to me out of the, out of the case yet. So what, what are you uh, pulling up on your screen there? Well, I was going to where she builds an alibi about being asleep. Mm-hmm. And having just gotten up, mm-hmm. it's not that she has an alibi. It's not that, that she was sleeping. It's not that she got up. It's her need to say this in an emergency call while her daughter is missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we looked at also the behavioral analysis, which was they weren't cooperating. They had a reason not to cooperate. Yeah. And um, the, the detective at the time, Steve Thomas, I think he did an excellent job. Uh, he investigated. He poured his heart into it. And Alex Hunter was the district attorney and he was intimidated by Lynn Wood and the other uh, high priced attorneys from Atlanta mm-hmm. that were, were hired immediately by John Ramsey. So it was set up where um, they finally went to a grand jury and the grand jury came back and indicted John and Patsy for child abuse, a death, a child abuse resulting in the child's death. Mm-hmm. They were indicted by a grand jury. I had never heard of this before, and I haven't think I don't think I've heard of it since. But Alex Hunter refused to sign the indictment. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. And he was actually deceptive when he when he spoke about that. The grand jury has brought that in their results, and no prosecution will be going forward at this time. He's leaving out the fact that they indicted the parents, mm-hmm. and he didn't sign it. Now, do you think that he was just in, uh, scared of the? Atlanta lawyers or what do you think? That's what I think. So I, I listened to him enough times and mm-hmm. uh, to know that that's where it was at. And I think that broke Steve Thomas. I, um, he ended up leaving law enforcement. I don't know if he ever returned. I think he turned to carpentry. Oh, And if you think about that, that's building something. That's uh, angles that make sense mm-hmm. because he had a senseless death on his hands and he had a senseless uh, district attorney who was talking back and forth with the Atlanta lawyers Mm -hmm. and not protecting and blaming police. Mm -hmm. So when, um, I mean, it's common that police get blamed anytime a district attorney doesn't want to go forward with something like that. And sometimes they need more investigation. This one was easy. This one was done. This Mm -hmm. one they knew from the beginning. So it, it remains a a mystery to many people. I would recommend um, Marcel Epper's on YouTube he did a, a presentation for our team, and, and the presentation should be on YouTube, about the case from A to Z. And he did everything with, um, from behavioral analysis, handwriting analysis, body language analysis, and statement analysis, all together in one. So when he was scheduled to present this to our team, I didn't look at any of his analysis. Mm-hmm. I, um, in fact, I, I said tongue-in-cheek that I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, what I meant was I wasn't disappointed in his work. I wanted him to um, contradict my own analysis. Oh. But that, that would be really exciting. Uh-huh. Um, we're talking about a science that has to be challenged, that has to have pushback, that has to have objections. Otherwise, it's not a science. Um, but he, what he did was he put together the schools of all the thoughts together in a remarkable A to Z collection that I recommend for Everyone in law enforcement, anyone interested in justice, mm-hmm. it's that good. Um, so my, my disappointment was tongue-in-cheek because I wanted a challenge, but oh. it, it he was overwhelming. He looked at every possibility, including the, the brother that, that became a popular mm-hmm. trend for a while. Um, I believe I know what happened. Uh, the author, Lois Duncan, she wrote the book, uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm-hmm. 
There was a movie in the 90s that was made out of it. And she's deceased now, but her daughter had been murdered. And that's how I got to know her. And she had um, great insight into that case as well as Marcel and others. And I had done separately, not knowing what they thought of analysis. And it all just came together. Mm-hmm. And um, here's the conclusion of the matter. When John was asked about it, uh, finding John Benet, he said, I opened the door, I turned on the light, and there she was. And those are three linguistic indicators that we explore for in all settings. Mm-hmm. He said, I opened the door. When it's not necessary to say doors can indicate possible PTSD. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and it's, you can think about it, why? And often it can enter the language of an adult who was sexually abused in childhood. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, hearing the sound of a door opening mm-hmm. under that type of trauma can mm-hmm. stay with them the rest of their lives. Yeah. Then the lights, you know, I believe him, you open the door. I'm not reinterpreting his language. Right. I believe that he flipped on the light. But why the need to tell me that? Mm-hmm. I don't think he fumbled in the dark or, or right. walk into something you can't see. Mm-hmm. That has often come up in the language of abusers, sexual abusers in particular. Huh. Yeah, where they turn on, turn on, turn off lights, sexual activity. And then he, the last thing he was, he said, and there she was. Not I found her. But he went to the passive. In other words, he didn't even say that's where the, the bastard kidnapper put her, something mm-hmm. in anger or something. Right. He goes to the place just like Alec Baldwin did with the, you know, the gun going off. Or if you've read in the, um, the Christmas parade killing, uh, an SUV attacked. An SUV didn't attack. Right. Now, someone did it. John removed the responsibility for who put his hands on his daughter. Mm-hmm. And put her in a basement, in a closet. Mm-hmm. He removed the responsibility and the identity. He had a reason for those things. And so for, for whatever they had gone through, they were in this one together. I personally don't think that John Bonet was killed intentionally. Oh, I don't someone either. Lost, yeah. Someone lost their temper. Mm-hmm. And then the cover-up begins. And then you look at the ransom note and it has all these references to their lives that kidnappers not only would not know, but wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. would have no and would would be under great stress to write down the fastest thing they can get and get out of that house mm-hmm. not a practice version not a full page or two pages none of that just a couple quick lines and out of the house without getting caught yeah totally yep so steve thomas and others they may have been nervous they may have been a little bit intimidated by the wealth of the home but they did their job and i think it's been unfair for, for more than two decades to they get blamed. Yeah. And you know what else happened to me? Um, I, I gave this talk down in my talk down in South Denver, where this John Bonet case uh, is one of the things I talk about. And um, again, someone pulled me aside and they said, look, here's what here's what's what went on. He goes, um, this is probably situation normal gone wrong. He goes, but here's the thing. He goes back around in there in that time. There was a ring of dads who would pass their daughters around for uh, sex. And he goes, John, John Ramsey was in that, that group. And um, I was like, ah, like it sickens your heart. Right. And, but having what you said, it, it kind of feeds that a little bit. It kind of backs it up. So I don't know if he was right or wrong, um, but it's, it's a suspicion. And then when you said what you said, I was like, oh, maybe he was right. So she had, um, bedwetting mm-hmm. that's um, a sign of abuse anymore. yeah but it could be right mm-hmm. and then she had repeated urinary tract infections mm-hmm. which is when you put those two together and then you add the language in mm-hmm. that kid was being abused yeah i think so i think so which is just it's just sickening and to think i mean it happens all over the the thing of it is is that it happens every day and this is a case we're still talking about 25 years later um so yikes but it's, it's kind of, this is one of those things, both for me and for you, it's like where you hate to be right. You're like, oh, didn't, didn't want to be right about that. But okay, let's move on. Let's move on. 
to something a little less uh, gruesome. So Roger Clements, and I've heard you comment on Roger Clements. And let me tell you my experience. And then, because you're a baseball guy, um, before I really focused on, on the body language, I was doing mental uh, training for sports and I got hired uh, by the New York Yankees uh, trainer. And his name is um, uh, Brian McNamee, who has uh, since admitted giving Roger Clements his, um, his, uh, his, his drugs. Now, Roger Clements was, was pitching for the Yankees. I think he was with the Astros for a while and then he went to the Yankees. And anyway, point is when they said we went, uh, we got shot up in the apartment in Tampa for spring training. I was in that apartment. And if I hadn't known a little bit better, I would have looked around harder uh, <laughs> because that's where everything or a lot of this stuff went down. So Roger has made some, well, for one, Brian Magnamy, and I'm going to go on record and saying this, he's a snake. You can tell it instantly when you meet the guy, he is up to no good. And, um, but you did some statement analysis on what, on some of the things that, that Roger has said. So what did he say? What do you think? Tell me about it. Well, as he was testifying, um, to put it in context, this is a very successful athlete who has, is very wealthy. So when he tells people to do something, they do it yeah. without question. Mm -hmm. He's also extremely competitive. And that can translate into some really poor parenting at times and difficult marriages. Basically, as a, a top-notch professional athlete, he's been worshipped since he was 12 years old. Yeah. So you can imagine what that does to someone. So mm -hmm. when he was giving his testimony, the arrogance, he couldn't control it. So he finally said, if I'm getting this HGH, which would allow him to heal from his injuries, anti-aging, mm -hmm. very quickly. Oh, yeah. If I'm getting all this HGH, who's delivering it to me? I wish that person would come forward. That's what brought Bar Brian McInerney forward, was <laughs> this arrogant um, challenge that was issued. Mm -hmm. And so he did come forward. And yeah, I, that was what I was doing. I'm the guy that delivered it. Um, we have a short memory at times with some of these things. And it really is an important lesson. Oftentimes, our heroes really did it. Yeah. And our villains didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Whether that be in sports, uh, entertainment, politics, anything. Mm -hmm. What we look for is to follow truth and to discern truth. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a perfect segue into, because you were saying, Trace, let's talk about the news and how the news is received. And um I, I feel like I, th I feel like we have two categories of news these days. I think we have the fake news and then we have the half half true news. And uh, I don't think we get any real news uh, that's objective these days. Um, and you can argue with me on that and that's okay. Um, but what what do you think? Like how and is whatever's going on in the news with how it's disseminated intentional? Uh, yes, it is intentional. And um in fact, I, I'm reading a book now. This is, I, I don't know if this is published yet. Um, it's coming out on Deception. Ooh, that looks good. Now, um, who's it by? What's it called? David Keatley. Read my lips, mark my words, Dr. David Keatley. And he's combining all the schools together in terms of understanding and the work you do, uh, the guys from the behavior panel. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're great. Yeah. Yeah, they're terrific. Um, there's not enough professionals in this field to handle what's going on today. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've seen this type of deception and propaganda in more than 150 years in our country. It's, it's not anything that I could have predicted. and um, It's been way out there. And there's always a purpose to it. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, though at times criminals work together and they conspire mm -hmm. so like that. But, um, and I think what's going on now is we have media, a large percentage of it is carrying a specific narrative. And so they all cover it. And you'll see they'll repeat, they'll repeat the same phrases over and over. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have a small other portion of media 
that can become a cheerleader instead of news reporting. So I don't want yeah. propaganda and I don't want cheerleading. Mm-hmm. I would just like the news to be presented as is. But what has taken place, which is really fascinating to me, and I mentioned in our email, is political correctness yeah. or wokeism. Mm-hmm. And how that enters into the language and how people can be taken in by it. Now, uh, we recently moved to an area that we're next to the Amish. So we, we have the benefit of the Amish farms everywhere and mm-hmm. getting to know them. And, um, they have not experienced the pandemic. Really? Because they really? don't have TVs. Oh. <laughs> All right. So are they, is anyone getting sick? Not really. You know, very few. They eat a very healthy diet. Mm-hmm. And, it, and because they work, it's, it's uh, rare that you find someone that is suffering from comorbidities, mm-hmm. from metabolic issues, from obesity, diabetes, mm-hmm. hypertension, that sort of thing. So they don't, they don't participate in the pandemic. They, they, they stay out. Um, but those that have, I think the origins, and this is debated whether it's a politician or which come first, the politician or the Hollywood celebrity. Uh-huh. But they, they practice a language that what I look for is, does this person believe what they're saying? Yeah. Or is it manipulative? Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, if I, in 2008, if I said I support uh, Barack Obama as a candidate and his positions. Mm-hmm. By 2016, I'm a bigot. So he said, what, ha- what happened? Mm-hmm. How, did, how did that happen? Um, and we, we call this wokeism, uh, some call it statism, but I look for it in the language of what its impact is going to be. And wokeism, or the political, politically correct language, at its very best, at its zenith, mm-hmm is mediocrity. It's mediocre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't require thought. It doesn't invite challenge. It, it wants to shout down anything it disagrees with. And the answer is already there. It's mm-hmm. pre-made for you. You don't need to think critically. And this is where I, I feel a great deal of pity for people uh, who are today saturated in fear to the point mm-hmm. where they're broken, mm-hmm. where they're, they're not even thinking for themselves. And in this lack of imagination that the, the woke have, in this need to show offense at everything, it is also probably one of the most frightening points about it. it beneath it all, it's a need to control others. I mm-hmm. need you, I'll change language to control you, whatever my belief may be. In that element, it brings an extremist that is self-radicalizing. In other words, if I am offended at, we're up to A, B, C, D, E, I'm at, I'm at E now, and I'm really offended, mm-hmm. but you were only offended at D, you've now got to go to F, right. and then someone's going to go and outflank you and go to G, and the, the outrage gets more and more and more, mm-hmm. and from the same people we hear, follow the science. And every time we hear in the news following the science, we should be concerned and suspicious. Because, um, and I've said this to to different groups that I've trained, I'm making the assertion that statement analysis is a science to follow. Mm -hmm. And to follow these principles, if I said to you, if you don't believe these principles, you're probably morally a bad person mm-hmm. and maybe have some mental illness. Otherwise, you'd, you'd be following what I said. And that's what politicians are doing today. Uh, and this is not partisan. This is most, most all of them. And what we've done is because it's so easy and doesn't take thought to, to think critically and discern deception, we simply go along with it. Mm-hmm. And so here we are two years later, and this nasty virus, which really has decimated the lungs of the elderly, for example, mm-hmm. nursing homes and um, dementia units, it, it's bad, mm-hmm. but it hasn't touched kids. It, it's, it's not heavily impacting kids at all. Um, and most people um, just recover from it, and, and that's the end of it. We have gone ahead 
and yielded to the most unscientific ideas. We've destroyed businesses. We've set back education. We've gone into massive debt. We've done all these things because of a lack of discernment. So we can be very serious about our health and, and look at a virus and say, yeah, I've got to do things to, to protect my family. But when it gets taken over by elected officials and by medical bureaucrats, that can only be done to a population that has been made afraid. And so what we've heard um, is nonstop COVID, everything. Yeah. With, we used to, it's gone now, but we used to have the death tickers. Remember on all the, yeah. all the different networks? Uh-huh. They'd run the death tickers and they wouldn't run death tickers for the for influenza. And some yeah, influenza is a very bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they refused to allow opposing opinions to be entered. Um, from doctors who were involved in the development of the vaccine, for instance. They're, even they're censored. Yep. Um, a lot of them are saying, no, we meant this for the elderly and the most high-risk only, because uh, you might end up teaching the virus how to mutate um, through our vaccine. And we've seen the, the big tech go right along with it, and the bottom line has always been, once freedoms are surrendered, they're very difficult to get back, and Pharma and politicians are profiting, and that's frightening. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so let's 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 take another modern twist on uh, on language. What about text messages? Um, text messages we do analyze, mm-hmm. and what we look for, for instance, is a new context and of abbreviation. We only usually it's it's short. Um, there are lots of new letters that are being used. So, for example, as you're looking for pronouns, a lot of text messages have no pronouns. Right. Or they have the, you just you, but the, the pronoun I is often missing. Right. And what right. we do is, for example, is flip it and say, okay, we have an expectation that the pronoun I is not going to be there. Suddenly it shows up. We've got something really important to look at. Mm-hmm. That person is making a psychological announcement, a psychological presence that wasn't there previously. Mm-hmm. So the text messages are very useful. It's just that we have to shift the context. Yeah, that's even as language changes with with uh, generations, we have to be fluid. We have to be willing to change. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why I insist that we have debate and pushback on any analysis. Mm-hmm. If it can't be put to scrutiny, it's not worth it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's well. You know. Um... You know what happened to me is I uh, I had I had the mother of a uh, like a twelve year old boy who who she thinks got uh, was was killed and you know how little uh, boys they play that choking game and then they choke each other and then until they pass out and then they come back well they choked him he didn't come back and um, the mom had all these text messages from the kid that she thinks that did it like back and forth between him and someone else. And she, she gets in touch. She's like, can you look at this? And I was like, uh, out of my zone, like in this category. And so anyway, I referred her to Mark McClish and, and, um, uh, and I, I still don't know the, the ins and outs of the details of, of what happened, but I mean, it's, it's, it's so much more prevalent. So are you still looking for baselines within that or what's, What's like the biggest red flag? Like, like just someone listening who could be like, man, that's a lie in that text. Um, look for the pronouns, mm-hmm. especially the absence of them and then the appearance. Another thing we have to do, um, especially at my age, is I, I'm not always aware of the trends that, that go in language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the pinnacle of what the most rewarding thing that I do besides obtaining justice is I love identifying anonymous authors. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. Cause you know who else I had on the podcast was um, uh, Fitz um, and, and he he caught the Unabomber, uh, Jim uh, Fitzgerald, or at least he, he did a lot of work in, yes. in catching it. I'm sure you know him, but uh, like talk about that a little bit. But it's very exciting, but the theme is the same. So when I go into an anonymous letter, especially, mm-hmm. some, especially a threatening letter, I always get other analysts involved, always. Mm-hmm. I never do it alone because I want, I have to identify if the person is a male or female, mm-hmm. their background, their race, their education levels, maybe their health. So many issues are involved, but um, 
it's pretty easy to tag what the priority is. Mm-hmm. So if you have a whistleblower le- a letter, a genuine whistleblower letter, the priority is always the danger or the risk or the corruption, always. When there's other things involved, we have to look at the context of the language. So when we were talking about the text messages, there are certain things that will teenagers will use that I will need to ask my kids about because I don't recognize yeah. the language or the phrases. Yeah. Um, so when my son says, dad, you're sick, that's a compliment. Okay. <laughs> But when it's in a, in a text message, I need to look further. Mm-hmm. When anonymous letter comes up, we even like to know what region from the country we be, they believe it's from mm-hmm. so that we can work. And any local phrases that someone might use, I get in touch with an analyst, you know, in the Southeast, for example, mm-hmm. um, like that. And we're able to look at the background, the experiences, the priority always but also the dominant personality traits Mm -hmm. of the writer. And that requires thinking outside of what I do or where I'm from. Uh So when we did the the Cleo Smith case, um, Colin was very helpful. And there are others from Australia that were involved. Because I said, I would not want to take a seven-month-old baby camping. That's just not going to work for me. Uh And... Um, they were able to show in context, no, this is not unusual. This is not extraordinary. And having beers at night is very uh, average. It's almost expected, especially on young people, that sort of thing. So they were able to bring um, some clarity to the language that may not have been clear to me culturally. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's the same thing with the anonymous author and the same thing with text messages. We want to be able to figure out those traits but we need the help of others because someone from the, uh, the Northwest may speak differently than someone from the Southeast. Oh, sure. Sure. For different sure. Phrases, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there is um, what is generally considered a large downgrade in education today, where someone with a master's degree may have really poor English skills in terms of writing. Oh, interesting. It's, okay. Yeah. It's not emphasized. Huh. So it, be, it gets tricky. Mm-hmm. The example I, I, I use in a training, which is actually a lot of fun, is I talk about my dad from World War II. Uh-huh. My dad met a great tomato, and he pitched woo over a cup of joe. <laughs> and so the younger um, like law enforcement, they'll look at me like, what did you just say? Uh-huh. And these were terms that were popular in the 40s, yeah. at least in Brooklyn, New York, they were, um, that I used to hear my father repeat. And so they're no longer used. And we actually have them in a, an anonymous letter oh. to go through, which uh-huh. was so fascinating. The person was trying to disguise her age. Oh, she was trying to disguise her age. And she said pitched woo. How, now, how did you figure out she was disguising her age? Because there's got to be another clue in there. Well, she used phrases from an older generation. Uh-huh. And she's very intelligent. Also, we knew that she was alone because she kept talking about we, us, we, us, an overemphasis on the plural. She's masking that she's alone. Uh-huh. So how, how, was it just that overemphasis that you figured out she's masking? Like, I mean, it, it's kind of like reading body language, right? You have to look at the whole thing to, to get the meanings of the individual context of different little things. But is that the basis of, of how you figured out she was alone or like what? How did that work? Yeah, the, it's the overemphasis. What, what I've never seen, and I'm open to whatever happens next in human nature will probably surprise me anyway, but mm-hmm. I've never seen double masking. So we had one from, um, I think it was the Atlanta, one of the Atlantic states where an employee employer received an anonymous letter from, the, from what was said to be an employee. And it started off like with this, yo, 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 bro, what up? Mm-hmm. And so we all said, that's a white guy. <laughs> and what happens is, you know, we can't get every detail correct. But if I, if say you received an anonymous threatening letter uh-huh. and me and my team were able to give you 70% accurate on points, descriptions, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you'll likely know who it is. Mm-hmm. So in that particular case, um, 
the recipient of the letter knew exactly who it was, what employee it was, and what he was, what his beef was. Uh-huh. He wasn't a racist, but he wanted to disguise his his race. Mm-hmm. I've never seen double masking yet. I've never seen um, someone doubling down on that because I think there's an uncomfortableness pointing to self. When we mentioned oh, the, the, the wokeism being self-radicalizing, uh-huh. one, of, one of the results of colleges, for example, where this is taught, is that they seem to have an endless supply of fake hate crimes or fake hate allegations. Uh-huh. Um, because there's always that great reward of attention and being able to morally scold someone else. In those things where someone writes, um, dear African-American family, you better move. You better leave here. The KKK is not polite. <laughs> yeah, they just they just come burn down your house and put a cross in the front yard or whatever they do. <laughs> yeah, if it's a true hate crime. And so we're able to uncover so many of these. After a while, it became routine. But over the years, we've had a lot of practice with that. Mm-hmm. Someone went and spray painted on their own house and then said it was a racial attack. And oh. what we do is we listen for their linguistic disposition if someone defaced your house, you're going to be angry. Oh, totally. At the person who did it. Mm-hmm. And what happens is if, if the person spray painted it themselves, they don't like pointing the finger at themselves and they don't like hating on themselves. Mm-hmm. It just goes against the grain. And yeah. that's how we catch them. Oh, boy. Well, I got to be careful with everything I write coming your way. Or, or if I see you uh, reading any of my stuff. <laughs> Well, if I, if I write back to him and say, your work is sick, that's good. <laughs> then you know. Oh, my gosh. For now. Okay. So, so speaking of someone whose work that's sick, which is yours, um, how uh, you teach classes all over, right? So can, can anybody go or do you keep it just to law enforcement? Tell me about that. Um, it, it varies. Uh, if law enforcement hosts it, it's closed. Mm-hmm. Um, we also offer training, a, a complete training course. Mm-hmm on statement analysis, it's, it's, it's quite in depth and it goes into, into um, the psycholinguistic profiling, latency within language. Um, most people will take 12 months to complete it. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is really great um, mm-hmm. because it takes time to absorb all the stuff and practice and practice. Mm-hmm. And then if they are successful in that, um, we offer an advanced course that has a lot to do with profiling and identifying anonymous authors. Oh, wow. And is that online where people can do it or do they have yeah, to go um, We send out the, via um, the internet, they get the, and they download the course at home and they go at their own pace. Mm-hmm. You know, every so often someone will, will blow through it in a few months. And generally speaking, if that's what they want to do, that's fine. But it's not uh, conducive for really solid work. What we like is, is we call it a magic number of 100. Uh-huh. where someone has analyzed a hundred statements over months, mm-hmm. they really get a feel for things. They really begin to understand what truthful parents sound like versus deceptive parents, mm-hmm. what thieves sound like. As they get to the advanced course, they, they learn how to identify, and this is going forward, um, what do addicts sound like? Oh, interesting. And then what I mean by an addict, someone that's actively abusing drugs or mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So what's your website? How can people go there and get it? Um, Hyattanalysis.com. Okay. And that's H-Y-A-T-T, right? Correct. Okay, cool. And they can, and they can find you there and. They can look through it and see what they think. And um, they can always, of course, read the blog. It's not for everyone, but I've also found that a, a good number of people over the years have taken it for one purpose. They want better discernment. Mm-hmm. And over the last several years, for those people that have done that, I think it served them well. They're not law enforcement. They're not psychologists. They're not um, military intel. They're, but none of those things, not HR, which is a great, great tool. Um, they're ordinary citizens who want better discernment. And so they'll enroll and, and they'll begin to learn certain ways that they can uh, grasp better what's going on around us because mm-hmm. I think that it's fair to say we live in an age of deception. Oh yeah, which is everything is. I've been shocked myself in this field how broad it is, the depth of it. 
Oh yeah. Well the depth and then the number of applications for it, it's not just who murdered who, right. It's, it's, uh, is your, uh, is your client, uh, <laughs> really telling you the truth that they're, they're going to sign it next week, right? Like all of these kinds of things. So we um, do a employment analysis where mm-hmm. someone applying for a job and we ask them to tell us about themselves mm-hmm. because as an employer, you can't say, Hey, I'm concerned that, you know, during lunch hour, you might be blowing cocaine in the bathroom and stealing mm-hmm. products. Right. You can't ask that. No. When someone talks about themselves freely, they will give that away if that's what they're they're into. Mm-hmm. And we'll give it away. So the employment analysis um, is useful. And there's even um, people that are looking to rent properties that oh. will talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. And if there's an issue, it often comes out. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been a landlord and, and I got out of that business because you think people can live independently. <laughs> and you know what? They can't. They do the dumbest stuff. Um, and I don't, we could do a whole other hour on the dumb stuff that people do that you would, but I'll tell I'll tell you, and then we're going to wrap it up how I, I learned to pick my tenants after a while, I figured out that my dog would pick out the tenants. So when they came over, cause I had a basement apartment, when they came over, if the dog didn't go up to them in the first couple minutes that they were there and try to get to know them a little bit, um, I would, I would make up some reason why it wasn't going to be a fit for them. And one time this guy would came over and I didn't like him anyway. And he was so scary. The dog wet on the carpet when he came in and I was like, Nope, you're done. That's it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so yeah, there's signs all over if we know how to look for them and how to listen for them. And so, um, so it's Hyatt analysis.com. And uh, I mean, online class, hello, how could you say no to that? So thank you so much much for coming on. You're just fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.